Hey, I'm Kim Forrester and welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. More than just the mundane or pleasure and pain, Eudaimonia calls for us to create a good life. It's about fulfillment, inspiration, joy. So plug in, relax and get ready for the goodness as we explore the characteristics and daily practices that can help you, your loved ones and your community flourish. What do you possess in your life that you regard as truly sacred? Is it your home, your body, your time, or perhaps your closest relationships? Maggie Hamilton is an author, publisher, and storyteller with a passion for life, ideas, creativity, and ancient wisdom. In her spare time, Maggie loves to retreat to deserts, cathedrals, temples, and other sacred spaces. She is a regular media commentator and a keen observer of social trends. Her books have been published in Italy, Holland, Brazil, and Saudi Arabia, and include Coming Home, Rediscovering Our Sacred Selves, Magic of the Moment, What's Happening to Our Girls, and What's Happening to Our Boys. Now, it's my great delight to connect with Maggie today to discuss how we can reinvigorate our lives with a sense of sanctity and how connecting with the sacred on a daily basis can help us to flourish. Maggie, it's such a delight to have you here with me today. How are you down there in Sydney? Very well, Kim, and gorgeous to be talking to you, darling. I must say, when I came into my little home studio today, my two cats were fast asleep in here, and normally I would throw them out and, you know, don't make any noise, but I realized today, when we're talking about sanctity and what is sacred in our lives, that perhaps it would be um, apt that my two cats would be in here. I know that, for instance, in ancient Egypt, cats were held as very sacred animals, so I'm sure you don't mind them purring and squeaking in the background. I love the thought of it, and I think they're very smart. They knew there was some lovely vibes to be had. <laughs> I would agree with you there. <laughs> Maggie, you research the past and have a very deep affinity with ancient teachings and concepts. Yeah. Com- compared to our ancestors around the globe, do you believe that we've lost a sense of sanctity, of sacredness in our lives? I do, Kim, and I think it's because we're living in such a a busy, hyped-up time. Many of us are not living where we were born, so we're not, and we're not connected into nature. So, so many of those pathways that take us into the sacred, which for me is all about lifting us to the highest possible space we can be Mm. at any one time. Um, And that's spiritually, physically, emotionally, and every way you would like to define that. So when we disconnected from that, we're kind of a bit like a rudderless ship. And also because everything is moving so fast now, we dart here and we do this and we dart there and do that. But there's no sense of often coming back to the center of who we are and to that place of deep peace and knowing. Mm. Now, obviously, um, sacred ritual, sacred relics, sacred spaces is something that many who adhere to a to a religion would understand. It's a concept that is often affiliated with religion, but is that the type of sanctity that you're actually referring to? 
Not really, to be honest, Kim. Um, and that's not to bag, you know, various religions. I think it is it is present there. But I think what often happens in spiritual traditions is that people seize on what are very beautiful and profound teachings and want to put them in a box. Mm. And as a result of that, we end up with just a glimmer of something that is much greater and more profound. And so I think the wider spiritual practice, which often includes, of of course, studying the various traditions um, to understand and to kind of get the beauty and the depth that's still there, but to have that wider view so that, in, in a sense, we've got a bigger capacity for the sacred opportunity we have in each moment to take the best of what is offered to us there but at the same time to give out because I feel it's a really important that it's a, a, a process both ways a giving out and receiving all the time of this highest potential that we have on these few brief years that we have on planet earth so what you're speaking of there, that sense of higher space and higher self, those who do ascribe to a religion would understand that as they go into their churches and their temples and their mosques and their synagogues. But yeah. um, for those who are not religious, even atheist perhaps or agnostic, why do you think that all of us would benefit from creating more sacred spaces, places and activities in our lives? I think because we all ache for some sense of meaningful connection to the world around us and that is to be found, you know, for the atheists um, and, and those who really feel very uncomfortable with spiritual traditions, often because of bad experiences in childhood or people who haven't necessarily been the best advocates of those traditions. Mm. But these can be found in nature. They can be found in profound connections with others, through helping others, through sitting at the feet of others who are wiser than us, who are more compassionate than us, who have a a fresher world view. Um, Because I really believe, Kim, that the sacred permeates everything and that basically life is this astonishing shimmering sacred text if you like that you know we who are basically illiterate in that way only get glimmers of this in moments the way you describe it there is so enticing so inspiring maggie are there simple practices, simple ways that you think that we can enhance the sense of shimmering joy and well-being? Yes, and that is actually to start to understand what sacred is for us. And sacred lies when we um, look back through our lives to those moments that take our breath away, that genuinely take us to a place of expansion. I think this is a very important part of the sacred is that sense of expansion and I don't mean that ego thing where we feel we can you know we're we're better than everybody else but something more in a sense more pure than that and and to really start to understand what those things are now for me what living in a 
you know, in Sydney, and most of us are living in towns and cities. What what intrigues me is to find the sacred in the busy streets. And so for me, it has come to, apart from my spiritual practice of meditation and other things I do daily, amid a very busy life, just like a lot of us have, mm-hmm. um, is for me, it is whenever I connect with a friend I love, um, you know, it might be a coffee before work, it might be a sacred pastor, whatever it is, um, I actually call that with the friend, even if they're not into kind of spiritual things. It's our sacred cuppa, I call it, or our mm-hmm. sacred pastor. And and they call that back. And I think what we're doing in that moment is we're actually defining and refining the sacred possibilities there. It's also in sacred place in our towns and cities, Kim. We all have places in our towns and cities that really make our souls sing. And I'll give you a lovely example of that, if I may. Here in Sydney, there's a a beach called Nielsen Park, which is particularly lovely because it's got big old fig trees which look like something out of a fairy tale, you know, those wonderful, tortured, brilliant trunks and and huge overhanging trees. And Mm. I've gone there for years when I've needed solace or inspiration. It might only be for half an hour and I might sit against a tree and have a cup of coffee. I might just, you know, just sit there and be. Anyway, I've been going for years and I started to look after this lady's uh, car keys because somebody had been pinching car keys while people were swimming in winter. And she said to me, she said, Maggie, I see you here from time to time. She said, you really love this place, don't you? And I said, I do. I said, it's actually a sacred place for me. And she smiled and she said, that's interesting. She said, and she was in her late 70s at this stage, her mother, who was long gone, had also had a, a you know a long association with the beach so we mm. talked for quite a long time and she said you know what the aboriginal people used to call this beach and the area around it and I said no she said the healing place oh my mm. and I thought you know instinctively I had known where I needed to go to be topped up so that is what I would encourage people to do it might be a fountain it might be a tree it might be a chapel it it could be anywhere a tiny park in the city that's your sacred space spend time there to to come down out of the busyness and back to self Immediately as you're explaining, you know, stepping into these spaces or the cups of tea, the sacred cuppas that you have with your friends, um, I am reminded of the modern habit of the moment we step into a place of awe or beauty of pulling out the phone and taking a photo or taking a selfie and almost breaking that sense of sanctity and awe um, to sort of make sure that we get it out onto social media. Do you see that as being a problem? Do you see that as being a way that we are actually breaking into the possibility of sacredness in our lives? I do. I mean, there are times when I see something extraordinary in nature and I will take a photo because I feel it has an essence I need to go back to. But that has to be done very quietly. And I feel where we really need to be imprinting these energies are in our our being, in our hearts and our souls, so that energetically um, what we're doing is we're creating a kind of reference point inside that is continually being heightened by 
absorbing, you know, the colours in in nature. I mean, it's just been pouring in Sydney, and I was delighted this morning. I love, I love it when I see unusual fungi appear out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was zipping up to the train this morning, and then I was in awe of these tiny little fungi, the type of which I've never seen before, because it's been so wet here after the drought, and. The the delight, the joy in that moment was was huge, and it was momentary. But it's that taking it in into one's being, taking that energy in, that then can spill over into our day, because we're sharing energetically that beauty, that delight. Because delight, of course, is about light being absorbed into our being. Oh, delight, of course, it is. So as I listen to you there, Maggie, explain about your journey through each day, it it strikes me that you are well attuned to the sacred. You are well attuned. You are seeking these little sacred moments and sacred things in the world. Not many people share that kind of attunement to sanctity. And I'm wondering if, is it worth, uh, for instance, if the listeners want to try and incorporate a little more sacredness into their lives, is it worth actually determining places and spaces and people that will remain sacred? So, for instance, determining yeah. determining that the uh, the family dinner at the end of the day is going to be a sacred space and n- no phones are allowed or n- no negative drama or whatever is allowed. Is that the kind of thing that you would um, recommend? That is absolutely it, Kim. And it can be scrambled eggs on toast because the sacred is imbued in everything and in the simplest gesture. You know, it's walking along the street and seeing someone looking sad and just smiling at them. I mean, and this can sound simplistic, but something starts to happen whereby you then intuitively start to seek out that and you start to seek it out with people around you. And so... On the one hand, we make the family meal sacred. On the other hand, we start to look at the people in our lives and to realize that so often we're spending time around people who are drama kings Mm. and queens. Mm. And so it's not that we stop seeing those people, but we're much wiser about when and where and how much time we give to that. Mm. And a great way to, to do that without draining one's being is to actually walk in nature, go for a walk in the park, together and have coffee outside in nature and you'll find that will often bring the other person down so that you're both having a much more positive exchange but Mm. making time for those people who truly are sacred in our lives because they are the people remember if we defining that as the people who really bring us the most joy and the deepest pleasure and and so forth they're often the people who feed us most and ask the least of us so they become that they're often at the back of the queue because Mm. of the neediness that we have around us yes you were saying that so the people who perhaps are most sacred to us are those that make the least noise and it seems to me that sacredness sanctity is in those it is in the quiet things it is in the things that are the the fungi that's growing in the back of the tree the the friend that doesn't demand much of us the quietness or the the sheer presence 
of the moment of, of having dinner with your family. All of these things are very quiet and unbusy, as you were saying earlier on. That's absolutely right. And it's that thing also, Kim, um, that the moment does not come again. So it's about holding that preciously and lightly. You know, this moment will not come again. So let me just relax into it. Let me relax into the enjoyment of it, to the potential, the healing potential in that moment of just Mm. being together and, you know, it might be laughing and crying, you know, happy things, sad things, but being, it's connected. And all this is about being connected back into the fabric, really. I understand. So you're saying there that, you know, every moment has its sacredness if we care to look for it. And that does remind me of something not quite very pleasant, but you and I are both deeply connected to New Zealand. I was born and raised there. You moved there as a as a teenager and spent many years there. Yeah. And the, the, the recent tragedy in Christchurch certainly highlighted to me the sanctity with which we ought to view our very lives. The moments of our lives are sacred. Do you feel that we could benefit from acknowledging the sacredness of life itself? Absolutely. And I think that's central to our really getting to know all the beautiful threads and nuances of what the sacred is. And that is honoring also different cultures, different ways of being in the world. And an Icelandic friend of mine, who's a, a very interesting woman, she said a beautiful thing to me um, a little while ago and that was that all these different approaches to life are different ways of working with the light Mm. and you know while we might not understand I'm not saying that we applaud cultural practices that really harm others of course not but to actually delight in in the diversity of what we have on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so that when we travel, we can be connected into the sacred moment. So if we're in an impoverished place and we meet somebody who is impoverished through a kindness, which doesn't necessarily mean giving them money, Mm. um, but actually honouring them. I remember we were in India in Shimla, a couple of years ago and it was it was bitterly cold it was sleeting and I was walking along the street and I saw this gentleman polishing shoes and it's always been something that I've always felt uncomfortable about because I've always felt for the person it's a bit demeaning however Mm. suddenly I just saw it differently and I took off my boots even though it was snowing and I gave them to this gentleman to polish and he did a brilliant job and I genuinely said to him afterwards, I said, nobody has ever polished my boots so beautifully and I'm so grateful. And, of course, you know, I gave him more than he asked for because, you know, it was virtually nothing compared to what we have. But in that moment, I felt something intensely sacred happen between us. Yes. Which is also I feel about giving people dignity Oh, yes. 
Well, we do dignify the things that we find sacred, don't we? We do. And then if we go back to the whole thing with Christchurch, the sad thing is the disconnection that we're seeing across the planet at present, which is mm. just a, just fear. That's what it is, is just fear. But of course, um, devastating consequences for that that people then have to work with and live with going forwards. So I think it's also, without doing it in a forced way, is finding ways to dignify our lives and the lives of others on the planet in a very light and sometimes playful, sometimes more serious way. Um, and then life becomes a wonderful tapestry of possibilities I think mm. now obviously one way that we can enhance the sense of dignity respect and sanctity that we have for each other and each other's lives and each other's values um, is through the way we parent our children and you've written a lot about parenting yes is there a more sacred way of parenting do you think than than how we pursue it in our modern day do you think that we're missing something in modern day parenting i think we are and i'm i'm always kind of reluctant to admit to this because i feel you know today's parents are under so much pressure and there's a thousand ideas about how one should parent i don't want to add to that that burden but what i would say is through all my research um into boys and girls um, and the, the whole 21st century issues from, you know, binge drinking to all the other happy subjects <laughs> is that I think what's happened is that parents have actually, in, in a funny sort of way, lost confidence in where they stand in their children's lives and because of the overwhelming marketing we have to children now from six months up. Yes. You know, parents feel that it's about giving their children stuff, whereas mm. really what it's about is what we are talking about earlier, those those moments that come and go and are gone and it's often the most precious things are those experiences that money can't buy and it's about also allowing spontaneity into the moment um, and and things like simple things like allowing children to get dirty which sounds weird but I was talking to an occupational therapist some time back and she said one of the things that's concerning her with with the clients she has, the children clients she has, is that children aren't being touched anymore mm. in terms of being held so much, you know, because everybody's so worried about, um, you know, being sexually in a being deemed to be sexually inappropriate in some ways. But it wasn't just that. She said, you know, earlier childhoods, children were, you know, in a park, um, jumping up and down in a puddle. They were climbing a tree. They were looking at things in a rock pool. So they were having very tactile experiences. Mm. Um, and these things are being lost. So what we're talking about really is putting the nuance back into things and keeping it simple, allowing children to have everyday objects which they they imagine, you know, that a box becomes a treasure chest which becomes a ship, becomes a whatever. Yes. These are 
these are keeping our creative abilities as children or, or expanding them. It's it's connecting us to the natural world. All these things that then create a kaleidoscope of possibilities that social networking and branded toys and all those things will never, never do. And, and with that connectedness comes a gentle but growing understand of what is understanding is what is sacred to that little person as they grow. Mm. I was going to ask about that. Do you think that part of parenting um, sanctity into you know into your family is to ensure that your child is able to choose things that are most sacred to them and then honoring the sanctity of that object or that space for instance you know there's a lot of oh you share that with your you know with your brother or whatever is it beneficial for us to allow children to have things or spaces that are purely theirs because they regard them as sacred and to honor that in the way that we parent most definitely and and the beautiful ways to do it I think are you know if you are walking in nature I think it's fascinating that little children love stones Mm. and feathers and all those sorts of things so what I would encourage is keeping those things sacred um, as opposed to you know lots of toys yes Um, but there might be that beloved toy and then as children grow you know if they if they're journaling or doing Mm. whatever that that journal is private to them um so that and i would also encourage um a child's relationship with somebody who's of the old an older generation who shares the same values as parents because as children grow boys and girls they need that wider village of wise ones who can, mm-hmm. who have time to sit and listen and who have time to put perspective perhaps that a busy parent doesn't have and again that listening is a sacred you know that an older person does for a younger person that's a sacred thing because it is honoring this growing potential of this this human being who's finding their way in the world that there, that process you talk about there of seeking out an elder in the village, yes. do, you, do you think that's something that we could all continue to do now, even in, in our adulthood? Kim, that's a, a brilliant point. Absolutely. And I, I know I have mine and I just adore them, mm. um, you know, because they they bring gentle perspective. And they, again, are the sacred ones that we were talking about earlier that often stand at the back of the line, who never mm. demand anything of us, but who get us. That's the other thing. People who get you profoundly and, you know, will at times tell us things that uncomfortable things that we need to know. But it's done with such love and gentleness that one never feels reprimanded or lesser than. One feels grateful for that that gentle guiding touch or comment, that speaking truth with deep respect. Now, Maggie, you weren't always fascinated with the with the sacred. You had um, quite a busy career for many years, and then you went travelling yeah. through the, through the deserts of southwestern USA. Is that correct? And yes. and you write that that's when it all changed for you. How did your perspective change, and how has that gone on to change your experience of life? 
It's interesting, Kim, because when I was a, a little girl growing up in England, um, just for the first few years, I had a great immersion in nature, and that really fed me. And it's only now, I, you know, years later, I understand how important that was. As you say, then fast forward university career, all that, and you know, I was lucky to to be successful, but it always had a hollow feel to it. It never felt like it fed my soul, although it was very stimulating. And I think that's it's important to make that difference. So I grew up in England, but I'd always had this fascination for deserts, which is weird because England isn't <laughs> something you associate with desert <laughs> landscapes. But I then had, you know, what I look back, I realize is what they call a big dream about deserts, which I won't bore everybody with. And we ended up there. And I was I was actually quite nervous about it because I'd never really been in that big wilderness before. And what I found when I got out into the desert was that it unfolded me mm. and that the, this is what wilderness does, these pristine places. And for me, it is desert. It's the expansiveness of the desert where suddenly, you know, I'm just like a speck of sand out there, but I feel so connected to all that is. And I find for me out in deserts, because they are so huge and the horizon is huge, that all the stuff that we carry around, it just drops away out there because the desert kind of puts everything in perspective somehow. And also what I found with the desert is that Every time I go out to a desert, it enfolds a part of me that's been waiting to kind of be brought to life. And I feel, those of us who live in cities, and I, I do honestly feel that cities can be immensely sacred places, but we do need to shake off the dust of city living from time to time mm. to recalibrate and that's what it did and I think it for me it was a bit like the first experience I had of meditation I then knew I wanted to get to that place for the rest of my life that place of incredible peace and expansion and that's what deserts do for me as well they take me to that expansive place where I just feel so at one with everything. And I think there are also countries around the world. I mean, I feel that in India, that has an incredibly expansive feel for me. Um, yeah. And then through your day-to-day -day life, is that the same sense that, you are, that you're reaching for? So when you're walking down the street and you're looking at the fungus on the tree, are you remembering that sense of expansiveness? Is that what it is that it reconnects you with? Absolutely. And mm. the beauty is the more we do it, the more it happens subconsciously. Mm. Um, you know, you're not you're not aware that you're actually looking for that because you you know, you're rushing for the train. And then it's life kind of picks you up and you in that moment you have that connection and I, I think in the west we get very caught up with time you know it has to be you know we talk quality time and all this sort of stuff and mm -hmm. you know I think quality time is a very valid point but what I've also found is that the more I connect with the sacred that moment of of joyous delight of bliss can last an eternity mm. for a blink and so our relationship 
with time changes. I think as we as we venture further and further into the sacred. That's beautiful, Maggie. Now for my final question. This is a question that I ask all of my guests. And I wonder if you can suggest to my listeners um, a morning reminder. So this is a daily practice, a mantra, or perhaps an affirmation that we can use to help create or connect with something sacred before we start each day. What I would say in terms of a mantra is to ask that one attracts to oneself and passes on to others all that is for our highest good mm. in the day because if it's for and at work and, and with that we mean everything work everything because if it's for our highest good it's for everybody's highest good and the other thing that I would suggest is you know as we rush out of our apartment or house in the morning you know and is is not to not to put the ear buds in and you know listen mm. to music or whatever but actually a practice of silence as we're walking along and to almost what I would call sniff the day sniff actually, the day you know just notice the vibe of the day you know and does it smell like rain what are we noticing in in, in as we pass a tree that we pass every day to sniff the day and by by those practices take us right down at the beginning of the day so that we're not in this constant hyped up state. So by the time we get to work or whatever it is we have to do for the day, we're actually bringing our whole self with us rather than a distracted part of ourselves. And I'd suggest we do the same at the end of the day if we can on our way home. Maggie, so simple and yet incredibly poignant and potent. Thank you so much for that suggestion. Um, a huge pleasure. Maggie Hamilton, how can people get a hold of you? You've got quite a few books there for people to enjoy and you also do a lot of social commentary and um, you write articles around and about. Where can people find out more about you? There's my website, which is maggiehamilton.org. And um, if anybody wants to contact me, they can also contact me from there as well. And that has my books and some of my commentary and stuff on there as well. Maggie, thank you so much for spending your time here with me and for sharing your wisdom and sharing just an inkling of what it means to connect deeply with the sacred. I'm very, very grateful to you. My huge pleasure, Kim. It's always lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. According to the poet Lord Byron, there are four questions of value in life. What is sacred? Of what is the spirit made? What is worth living for? And what is worth dying for? The answer to each, he says, is the same. Only love. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester, and from my purring cats and myself, we say, be well, be kind to yourself, and cherish that which is most sacred to you. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.